And welcome to 42 to Doomsday. I'm Mark. I'm Rob. And tonight we are broadcasting to you live from a merchandising mecca. Way back in 2014, when Rob was a much younger man, we caught up with Aaron Challenger from Lobos Collectibles to discuss the then-current state of Doctor Who merchandising when it was riding on the tailwinds of the 50th anniversary year. In this special episode, we uh, revisit this topic again, and to help us today, after a five-year absence, Aaron, can you believe that? And as well as our occasional co-host, Richard, from the Goodies Pirate Podcast, Spacefall, Blake 7 Podcast, and the Coming Soon, Are You Being Served Podcast, to discuss... The current state of merchandising from both a retail and collector perspective on the world of Doctor Who. So guys, thank you very much for uh, joining us. And Aaron, thank you very much for opening the shop. Thanks for having me back. It's like being stuck in a chronic hysteresis being back on the show. Oh, I'm sure you can get tablets for that. <laughs> and Richard, how are you? It's great to be here and thanks for having me back on. Aaron, the last time we saw you, you were in much smaller premises and probably everyone can hear the slight echo on the recording. Uh, you've relocated recently. Yeah, we, we've moved about two months ago and we're in a place that's about three times bigger than the last shop. And it shows because this place mm. is absolutely jam-packed with stuff. I mean, it's... A gold mine. But it really is an Aladdin's cave of just... Stuff. Stuff. It's I mean, amazing. there's figures and sets and comics and more figures and so much plastic in here. It's unbelievable. You should be really proud of it, Aaron. It's really... It's, it is it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of childhoods in here and, mm-hmm. and we can sell it back to you. <laughs> and a 60% markup. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually just going to say, just turn around and look at the cabinet behind me, I never realised that the Power Lords, there was so many Power Lord stuff released here. I think a lot of it's from overseas. We only got the first wave of Power Lords. I do remember the Power Lords, but you have uh, far more figures than I remember, and I also see there's a playset up the back there, so... Vulcan Rock. Yes. Adam Powers Fortress. I think it's time to cash in some of your super, Richard. And... <laughs> <laughs> Come on down. I can give you a good discount. There's a website? Uh, there's a very active Facebook page. For low boss collectibles. collectibles. Excellent. So everyone can check that out and uh, just see how magnificent this story is. Aaron, uh, last time we spoke to you, uh, as I said, the coattails of the 50th anniversary and Matt Smith was had just left and Peter Capaldi uh, came in. Merchandise sales were pretty healthy back then, you'd say? The 50th anniversary was the best that the merchandise sales have ever been for us in the shop, yes. Mm. What's happened in those intervening years? There's been a lot that's happened in the intervening years. And <laughs> Not all of it good, but... <laughs> <laughs> Not much of it good. <laughs> Actually, it sounds like none of it's good. <laughs> There's been a lot of changes in the line and a lot of changes in the show that's really affected the line, and I think that's what we're going to talk about over the next... Um, hour since 2014 has it been a gradual decline or has it dropped off a a cliff at some point it's not been a gradual decline but it's gone down in steps okay so um a lot of the the things that i've seen have been when there's been a change in the show rather than regaining the audience it's been losing audience and when there's been a change in the action figure line again it's been losing the uh, the buyers and not keeping the buyers. Mm. Okay, Richard, what's your experience in the last five years? Well, it's interesting because, yes, when there is a change in the show, I have noticed I think there are people dropping off and very small sample size, but I have a couple of friends with teenage daughters and in both cases they were both big Matt Smith fans um, and in both cases when Peter Capaldi was cast, it was very much like, oh, that's an old guy. Mm. Um, and look, they really, I don't think either of them have come back for Jodie Whittaker, so... Doctor Who's just, you know, that was something I used to watch. That's something exactly the same as what we've seen in the shop where we would get the schoolgirls walking home, coming into the shop after school and standing in front of the Doctor Who cabinet and having a bit of a giggle and then maybe buying a David Tennant or a Matt Smith. That sort of changed overnight. So mm. they're gone now and never came back. So is the decline, does it really start with Peter Capaldi's casting? It does. I think for younger viewers, certainly who got in on David Tennant and Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi was a really big change. As older fans, we thought Peter Capaldi was great, great. Mm. but I don't think that filtered down into the younger viewers. And certainly, look, you would say there is a very definite divide over Jodie Whittaker. Mm. Depending on which side of the divide you are on, you're either really no longer interested in the series or you're probably younger and not buying merchandise. And the other thing is there's a divide in the merchandise because there's the classic line and there's the current line. And so... When I say um, it lost audience, it lost audience for the current line, but the classic line sort of held steady. It's held steady through 
everything up until recently. Was there a change in the quality or quantity of uh, merchandise when Capaldi came around? Or Yes, but the, there's a lot of things to understand about why it changed. Um, retail changed and the, the scale of the figures changed to to sort of give retail what it needed. So the, the figures changed scale to smaller figures and mm. what collectors really hate is when they've collected something for, for 10 years and then suddenly... <laughs> it changes. It changes. Yeah, we all know fans don't like change. But what mm. specifically... Well, what was, the, what was the decision made to change the size? Was it purely to save money? No, it was because retailers wouldn't give it enough shelf space. So you lost a lot of retailers in, in the UK. And in Australia, we lost the ABC shop. Mm. Originally with um, David Tennant, I, think, I don't think with Matt Smith, Toys R Us was stocking it. Yep. And when there was uh, the, the loss of uh, like high street stores that stocked it, the knee-jerk reaction to get more product into the stores was change the scale of the figures. Because if you've got smaller figures, it doesn't take up as much space and you can have more product in the same area. Mm. So you've got the doctor changes and you lose, um, you know, sort of casual collectors and then you, the scale changes and that loses hardcore collectors. And so you've got, oh, we'll go back to the old scale. That annoys the collectors that have sort of stopped and moved on and then they have to go back. What about availability of, of figures? So if I wanted to buy a, God forbid, a Jodie Whittaker doll. Action figure. Action figure. <laughs> where would I go and buy one? Apart from low-loss collectibles, where yeah. else can you go? Well, this is the other issue. Um, you should be able to get them from any pop culture store. Mm. But the current series has probably had the lowest popularity since the series returned. So a lot of stores won't order them. So in Australia, Icon, the main distributor, mm. have just basically cancelled the line. So I can't order them in Australia at wholesale anymore. But they're not making the determination of the number of people actually watching the show. They're looking at the demand from you know collectors and casual buyers, I suppose. Yes. The last announced wave of figures that was going to hit Australia was the uh, BNS uh, exclusive uh, English figures, which is the John Pertwee TARDIS, the mm. three packs with... Um, with Bill and the Peter Capaldi Doctor. And they went on pre-order about June, July last year. And they were meant to be released at Christmas. And by Christmas, they were delayed. And we didn't get a reason for the delay. But I went to Toy Fair, which is the trade industry fair in um, March. And when I asked the distributors, they said they hadn't had a minimum order from all the stores in Australia to bring one container of uh, items across so they'd kept the pre-order open till april when they were meant to bring it over and it still didn't hit the minimum order so they left it till mid-year and at mid-year they said no there's not enough interest and cancelled it well, we're actually going to give that license to somebody else now they they're not going to bother doing that either no well the interesting thing was at toy fair i went around and talked to all the licenses the licensees that have ever had doctor who and every single one of them said they were not going to touch the license until the doctor regenerated. So Jodie Whittaker resigns and there's a replacement? That is when they will start looking at merchandise again, which is, is, is unfortunate, but that's just what I was told. Better hope it's not another female doctor next time. <laughs> so what was your experience, Richard, in the last four or five years? I mean, you, you, you've got a lot of experience and deep knowledge about this. Going to various shops, have you seen the options narrow? It's in decline. I think there is very much, as I said a minute ago, there is a chasm, I think, around around Jodie Whittaker. And I think it is very much, if you're an older fan, most of the older fans I know really watched some of it and just didn't bother with the rest of it, haven't watched it at all, or watched it and were just sort of like, meh, at the other end of it. So, and look, not all of them obviously were buying merchandise, but there is that sort of, I, I think if you're an older fan, there is that sort of malaise a bit, I think, around it. I think the other thing probably with Doctor Who is, and we might come to this in a minute, but it's also now a 14-year-old franchise. So, yes, you can reinvent the show every time you regenerate the Doctor, but if you're a licensee, and we've talked mainly exclusively about toys, if you're, say, the company that did trading cards a few years ago, you've done Doctor Who trading cards, they've been and gone. So unless you get people hammering on your door saying, we want more trading cards, you're not going to touch them again. And there really aren't probably the producers in the market now who are going to pick it up. Um, I mean, there was a sell-through set in America for Tops. Now, they were floating that set for probably best part of 18 months, two years before they finally got a print it. And they actually had to go and read all the cards because it was originally a Matt Smith 50th anniversary set and it wound up it really had to be a Peter Capaldi set by the time they actually got it out. But, you know, they didn't sell a huge quantity of that. It was also a very hard set to finish. I think if you're a lot of those sort of merchandisers, why would you come back? 
um, for something that's that old. So, well, I'm actually glad you raised <clears> that point. It, I mean, there's been a, a mixed reaction amongst serious fans of the show, mm. I suppose, with regards to Jodie Whittaker's casting and the impact mm. of the, you know the new series and the new approach. But is it, as you say, really? I mean, how much of it is simply just the age of the show? I mean, as you say, it's fourteen or fifteen years. There's been that divide in fandom, and maybe that's some of it. But is it more just the fact that the show is old and that's it? I think in this iteration, particularly now, because you work on much shorter cycles for production and lines being popular and stuff. I think now. Plus, the other thing is, I, I get the impression with this current iteration of the series it was very much pitched as if you are a disaffected older fan really it's time now for you to just shut up and go away yes um, we're sick and tired of your sniping we're sick and tired of all this this is this is the show now if you don't like it basically there's the door unfortunately for me as a retailer those old fans are the bedrock of fandom mm-hmm. who will buy every dvd they release every yep. issue of doctor who magazine mm-hmm. every book and by saying to them we don't need you anymore. You bring in a transient um, group of fans who like the current era. Mm. Even for those people who love the current era, when it changes, they might not stay around. But this is the first time I think all the Bedrock fans have have jumped off and I don't think they'll come back. Mm. So what have you heard from the Bedrock fans? Give us an example of something that you may have heard. Look, I don't really sit there and and slag off the show and and we we have discussions. I I see online there's a a big... difference in attitude to what people will say being sort of an anonymous person online you can really vent where people come into the shop and we have discussions and it's and it's sort of nice talking about Doctor Who I have to say though in the last 18 months I have bought more Doctor Who collections because we are a second hand shop than I've probably bought in the past 10 years and it's all large collection that have been collected over a lifetime and those people feel so alienated by the show at the moment, they've decided they don't want it as part of their lives anymore. How old are these people who sell in their collections I've had of interest? Well, that actually was a point I had. That yeah. I think the collectors also probably, the, the older bedrock type collectors are now getting older as well. Hmm. They're probably now getting to a point in their life where, you know... Give me the cash. There was a collection, a uh, fairly decent collection, sold here in Melbourne a couple of years ago that, that you would know. And that was very much, look, the guy was in his early 50s, he's kids had left home and he was just look I'm now looking to have a sea change and really this stuff having all this stuff in my house and he didn't just have Doctor Who he had a lot of other stuff as well but Mm. this is now really weighing me down for what I want to do now so I'm actually I want to get out it could be the Marie Kondo effect potentially coming in there and uh, (laughs) saying this stuff no longer brings me joy coupled with the fact that he'd really lost interest in the series uh, in its current iteration but yeah yeah, but it was also a case look I have this big collection of classic stuff Mm. Um, but look I really just don't want that anymore because I want to do something different now yeah exactly I mean I've done the the same thing I've sort of sold a lot of my figures and and, and bits and pieces like that and channeled the money into other things so when you start selling your vinyl then I know there's something wrong no (laughs) (laughs) it it is interesting what Richard says because someone who buys collections not just Doctor Who there's, there's a couple of big reasons why people sell their collections they sell their collections because they're moving into a smaller place or mm. they're just moving and they don't want to take their collection with them because it's too too much hassle moving a collection from place to place. Yeah. Or they go through a divorce or a separation. That would be the second biggest reason we have people coming in and they don't want to split the collection. The partner wants half and half the money, so they have to sell their collection. And the third biggest reason people sell their collections would be because they want to travel or they want to pay for a wedding or they want a house deposit or something like that. And then it goes, Star Wars is crap now, so I'm selling my collection. (laughs) Doctor Who is crap now, so I'm selling my collection. Because we're getting too old isn't something really that people come in and sell our collections because we've had a life change, you know, apart from, you know, we're moving. Mm. It isn't, you know, those lifelong collections, people don't fall out of love with stuff generally Uh, yeah but the enthusiasm obviously for something they loved has waned and this just isn't in doctor who it's in a lot of things if something happens so someone stops collecting the current stuff Mm. collecting is a is a bit of a habit you know if you get something every month you keep getting it every month and you allot the money to put aside for it every month yeah and if you stop then suddenly you have this other money and you put it in the bank or you spend it on other things Mm. And then suddenly you're like, well, I really don't need to be spending this on collectibles every month. And then when you're not spending it on collectibles, your collection becomes a bit stale. Yeah. And you're like, well, maybe I don't need two rooms full of this stuff anymore. Or maybe I don't need a man cave full of this stuff anymore. So 
just by changing one little thing, like maybe buying a book and a magazine a month, it can unravel everything and the entire collection will be sold 18 months later. Yeah. So in terms of the prices that people are asking for and are looking for, do they have a preconceived view of what it should be as opposed to what they actually get? Well, collectors usually know what their collections are worth because mm. you know they're the ones who've been collecting it and they follow the trends. Our model is we pay a third of what uh, we're going to sell it for ourselves and that way you get a third up front mm. and we get a third when we sell it and tax and overheads get the other third. So that's how the breakdown basically works um, when we purchase a collection. Sometimes if something comes in that's really, really rare, we'll pay a lot more because it's obviously not going to sit in the shop for as long. Mm. Or if a, another Star Wars collection comes in with 500 figures, we pay a lot less because we've got boxes and boxes of them in, in storage and we don't really need more of them <laughs> Richard, you, I've known you for almost 25, 30 years. Yep, and about that. About that, and you have been actually similar length of time to Aaron, who has to go to his place every Sunday and pick up DWBs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we still do. <laughs> you, you've been a collector and into merchandise for years and years and years. Mm. What's the state of your collection and what's the state of your interest in collecting Doctor Who at the moment? Doctor Who specifically, probably not that great. Look, I did sort of go through when I got out of fandom the first time. Uh, back in the sort of late 90s, I sort of went through the ritual purge where I went through and assessed everything. This is the stuff I really want to hang on to and look, this is the stuff I'm happy to let go. Mm. When I got out of Phantom the second time, I did much the same thing. In terms of what I'm buying now, I'm probably fairly particular in the areas I'm looking for. So for me these days, look, I'm still on the lookout for the... Uh, some of the figures and some of the um, character building figures, the Lego compatible ones. There's still a few gaps there. I'm still looking for those. Always been interested in miniatures and games. So look, they uh, do still, if they sort of come up, they do still cross my path. But um, a lot of the other stuff, the books and the magazines and the CDs and stuff, look, I, I no, largely stopped collecting. And when you were purging, what was the criteria for what you were willing to let go and were willing to keep? Well, it does actually tie back into the comment about getting your childhood back because a lot of the stuff I kept was the stuff I'd had when I was a kid that really obviously had sentimental value. You know, I remember getting it or I remember enjoying it when I was younger. The stuff that I was probably happier to let go with the things I collected as an adult mm. um, and really probably didn't have the same emotional attachment to. There are a couple of things I let go that I'm now, I'm sorry that I did, but it really is the stuff I had the sentimental attachment to. Would that be the same for you, Aaron? If you ever, I mean, I understand that you've moved on some of your collection at different points. Yeah, I've, Richard and I have both collected, I'd say, most of our lives mm. and bought stuff off of each other when we've, we've sold and we've rebought re stuff. I guess I specialise in the 60s stuff. What happened for me in Australia, it was very hard to buy merchandise in the 80s. And the first time I sold my collection is because I hit the wall and the show kind of ended and the only merchandise being produced was not to do with the show anymore. It was the, the big finish and the new adventures and things like that. And all the stuff I wanted to collect before the internet, you just couldn't get in Australia. It, mm. it wasn't mm. a case of, you know, you didn't have the money for it. It just wasn't in Australia. So I sold my collection again because when you're not actively collecting anything, you kind of lose that enthusiasm. And then eBay came along and suddenly there was a whole new window and 60s Dalek jigsaws, which, you know, in 10 years of looking, I found one in Australia you wait a couple of weeks and you can buy one. Mm. And, and so that sort of, you know, reignited my collecting through the 90s and the 2000s. And then the new show came back. And again, I like I like the new show and I like the merchandise. And I loved that there were action figures. Yes. Because one of the things Doctor Who fans have always wanted is, mm. is a Sutak action figure or a Kunoid yeah. action figure. <laughs> and, and then suddenly the new series came along, it was popular. And I never thought that they would go and make classic action figures, mm. even when the new well, series was popular. And then all of a sudden they announced, we're gonna do the old Doctors and we're gonna do Tomb Cybermen and we're gonna do classic. So, so for me, um, even though I work in the industry where I buy and sell stuff, I've always bought stuff and collected. I've only sold stuff when I couldn't find stuff to expand my collection. Well, you were selling surplus DWBs to me, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, the one bit of merchandise I, I know has been selling very, very well is the Blu-ray sets. 
Yeah. So in the UK, uh, the, the Tom Baker season 12 set is now going online for astronomical figures. And all the other sets are selling out as well. And uh, obviously in Australia, there's this uh, distribution problem at the moment. They're switching from Roadshow, I think, to Universal, I believe. I would pick the season 10 set up while it's still relatively mm. well-priced because mm. I've got to say something about the Blu-ray sets. They're lovely but I feel like Australia betrayed me. They were the first sets ever. I said, okay, I'm going to wait for the local releases. And I bought the first two local releases and they were great and they were the same as the UK sets. And then the third one, they changed the packaging. And it wasn't as nice. And so season 10, I started getting them from the UK again. And even if we do get a new distributor, well, we will, there's no guarantee the packaging is going to be the same. Mm. Um, So if you want consistency... I pick them up now and I get the UK versions. <laughs> it's funny because I've always bought I bought the UK tapes and I bought the UK DVDs and now I'm buying the UK Blu-rays because you're right the consistency I couldn't handle those bloody yellow stripes going <laughs> everywhere so the OCD kicked in so but it just goes to show you those sets are selling out like mad. Yes. But yet the the latest series is on the I've seen it on Amazon UK you know still book the still books usually sell out but they're still widely available and being discounted heavily all the time. Well I, I think some of the sobering numbers and it is also to do with the change in you know the way people buy stuff and downloads but I'm pretty sure the tenant series was selling 250,000 units and the current series hasn't sold 10,000 of a 20,000 print. Wow. Of the DVD slash Blu-ray release in Australia? Worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah. Have you bought yours, uh, Mark? So the next question I want to ask... <laughs> <laughs> no, alas, alas, uh, no. But when I look around the shop here, there's you've got He-Man, you've got Transformers, Doctor Who sort of moved into a little corner at the moment. But what's the biggest seller here? Biggest seller is Star Wars. Three times as much Star Wars than anything else. You could say... The Last Jedi did also cause a bit of a stir, shall we say, you know, in terms of fan reaction. And as it had that sort of seismic, I'm leaving sort of fandom behind as what the Doctor Who one's experiencing at the moment, do you think? No, it absolutely hasn't. And there has been a fan backlash against Star Wars, but the fan base was so big, Mm. for sales-wise, it hasn't mattered. Mm. So I would say we've lost not even 10% of sales. In in fact, it, it just keeps going up. So. And that's the problem with Doctor Who, isn't it, in terms of the market? The show is a small fish in a really big media pond, and any change in attitude by you know, watchers can impact quite severely. Well, interesting to look at how it was selling at the 50th. I, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly, but when the 50th was out, the main thing they released was a Dalek and Doctor 2-pack for each Doctor. Yes. And we had people coming in that year for Christmas... And they were, kids were buying the Tom Baker or the Patrick Troughton one for their parents, unknowing that their parents came in and bought the, <laughs> the Matt Smith or the Christopher Eccleston one for them. And it was really great to see, like, right across the board, male and female, old and young, were buying Doctor Who stuff. And it was loved and it was very popular. Mm. For those Dalek 2-packs, I think I ordered 40, 40 crates and I think there were six in each crate, so that was 240 units. And we sold those before Christmas, and I ordered more. And then to go to the other end of the scale, I ordered 12 Jodie Whittaker figures, so one crate for when she was on and for Christmas, and we didn't sell them all, not 12 figures. That brings me to my point that I've just sort of been percolating in my head. Is the interest in the show dependent on how it's made? And by that I mean, you've, I think you've mentioned before, um, Aaron, that with Capaldi, there, there was a you know he was regarded as being scary, and it was sort of driving people away. But if you go back to Tenant, that was when the show, the new series, had its broadest appeal. Mm. Yeah. So do the producers of Doctor Who? Now I suppose they should be looking at only to make it for TV and not worry about the merchandising angle, but to give it its broadest audience. When Jodie Whittaker moves on, do they have to go back to that David Tennant model of a youngish actor with broad appeal? to sort of you know regain that mass audience, collecting audience. Yeah, if you are looking at from a commercial point of view, which I don't think the BBC have to, but BBC Worldwide probably do have to, yes. And I think, now I might be totally wrong here, but I think it was a quote from Philip Hinchcliffe um, when Peter Capaldi took over. He said, you can't do a show for 10 years and have the lead, a young um, romantic lead, and then change it that drastically and expect it to be as popular. And I think that's, I think that's true. 
I loved Peter Capaldi. He's my favourite mm. actor out of the doctors who've played um, the role in the new series. But he was scary for kids. And I liked that as an adult. I, mm. I remember Tom Baker scaring me as a kid because he would have outbursts and be a bit erratic. And so I, I, I played into the nostalgia. But kids who'd grown up with Matt Smith and David Tennant all of a sudden the doctor was scary and they didn't want to buy his figure and they stick to watching the repeats that were on Netflix of the first couple of series. So it lost a lost an audience because of that. It's very sad, isn't it? What do you think, Richard, are the approach that they should take going well, forward? Well, I actually was going to say, unless I have a suspicion when they cast the next doctor, I think that it's probably going to have to be a female doctor again, just to, unless you just are totally going to admit this was a mistake. If you cast a male doctor, you are, I think, pretty much admitting that, that casting Jodie Whittaker was a mistake. I think probably most people would think it was a mistake, though. They would, but would you, as the producer of the show, admit that, or would you double down? Well, if Chibnall is still in in harness, no, of course he's not going to admit a mistake, but I, I think they'll have to go with a male. Do they just say, look, we're going to rest it for a couple well, of years they, and they, go away and retool? They can't, because haven't they signed a deal into the Chinese market in the early to. 2020s? Yeah. So in theory, the show, whether it's you know made for terrestrial broadcast in the UK specifically, or you know for a foreign market, They'll, they, they still have to you know, make it. I think it will come down to money and they will say, if every one of our licensees has said we will not sign up until the Doctor regenerates, they're going to have to let them know what the new Doctor is going to be like before they'll bring them back. And I think if they say it's another female Doctor, they'll say pass again. But I guess the thing is, if you do go back to a male Doctor, other people who've already been alienated come back. Are they going to come back? And if you have, because... I suppose on the other side of the coin, look, there are people who were extremely happy with Jodie Whittaker's casting, are really loving the new series. Are you going to drive them away if you suddenly say, well, okay, look, we'll just pretend that didn't happen and we're going to cast a male actor again? But I think the new series has demonstrated that with the the departure of each Doctor, a new cohort of audience comes in. I guess we've just discussed it with Peter Capaldi, that kind of didn't happen. You've driven away some of your ones who loved David Tennant and Matt Smith. As I said, as older fans, we all thought, great, Peter Capaldi, that's an awesome casting move. Yeah, but, yeah. If, if, but, but if we think that Jodie Whittaker has driven away you know, people who are willing to you know, pull money out of their pocket and start buying merchandise, why would you compound the, in air quotes, error uh, by casting another female actress? You don't want to admit you've made a mistake because yeah. if you cast a male doctor, you've really just said, well, gee, that didn't work out. Sorry, everyone who got on board with this. Mm. We're clearly, you know, because the argument, the counter argument is if you, we're going off tangent. And this is probably the big argument I had with the discussion around Jodie Whittaker's casting. If you were somebody who said, look, I'm not really on board for this, you're either a misogynist, a dinosaur or both. And on the other side, if you were somebody who, was on board for Jodie Whittaker's casting and thought this was a great move and a bold move and everything. You know, you were just young and stupid, social justice warrior, or, and, and had no understanding really what the show was about. So... Well, that's, that's why I think the casting was a failure before she even mm. um, got an episode on air because it divided fandom oh, so, yes. so badly <laughs> that that schism, I don't think, will ever be fixed. Healed. No, no, I don't think so either. Well, is there a world in which the casting of a woman or Jodie Whittaker, if we want to be specific works in terms of merchandising is is there a, I, an approach that they could have taken or a method I, of announcement that they could have you know undertaken i think if you'd done it as just a clean break maybe even if you'd had a break of a year after peter capaldi and just done we are completely retooling the show and this is doctor who version 2.0 and it's now female doctor deal with it you may not have got quite the same schism because it would have allowed maybe older fans or fans who weren't on board with it just to go all right black doctor who's finished this is a re- this is a complete reboot, and I don't have to get on board with it. But because you've got a continuation, I think you you peed everybody off. I think a lot of people had high expectations because the show was changed so much when it was coming back. It had to be firing all pistons and the best it had ever been, and I think that already set it up for disappointment with a lot of people. And when it did come back again, it wasn't universally loved. It divided the audience. The episodes. Um, sort of weren't as good as a lot of people expected them. Some people loved it, but the majority of people who came in here didn't like it. I was hoping for something more from the performance myself. 
But uh, I think if it was somebody like a Ruth Wilson or something like that, maybe it could have worked. It needed a stronger actress. Uh, right I actually think it. maybe not so much a stronger actress. I think maybe putting it with Bradley Walsh was a mistake. Yeah. Because he really... Outguns her. Yeah, he does really outgun her. He yeah. really steals most of the scenes he's in. Do you think Bradley Walsh action figures sell better than Johnny? <laughs> no, there, there, there isn't, but he. we've actually had people come in and ask. Really? Yeah. For a companion? For a companion. You see, like Peter Cushing, where he wouldn't sign the release to get an action figure no, made I, during I, his no, lifetime. I think, <laughs> no, I think there's not a, a big enough yeah. demand for them to make the action right. like for, to to commercially. It's too too much at the moment. Well, wasn't there that uh, Jodie Whittaker figure that they? Uh, uh, big Chief. Big Chief. Were mm. did they advertise three hundred? They wanted five hundred, and they couldn't get five hundred, and then they lowered it down to uh, four hundred or three fifty. It was it was really they got around three fifty five. or something. Yeah, it was really low. And figures, then suddenly. suddenly that became the new target. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the pearly one went for, sold out at five hundred again. And yeah. they're and they're selling a non limited edition. So mm. yeah, and and I think the other thing that shows, you know, the popularity of the current the show, is the last wave of figures that have done amazingly well in England have been based on big finish audios, and there's only been a Jodie Whittaker figure from the new series. The production team has got to be a bit upset about that that they would pass on the current TV version and do big finish figures fan wank in a box set that's what you've done well do you know anything about the big finish figures Richard I know of them I haven't really paid a lot of attention because it was I'd be honest and say look it was big finish and look I'm not a regular big finish listener so they pretty much straight through to the keeper okay but there were some other sets though that they brought out mm. That well, they brought, the out, so they brought out the, the Sharda oh, Tardis with right. Tom and the Peter Davis and Tardis. There's a big enough interest in them that I'm currently parallel importing them, which means I'm finding someone over in the UK that will source them at retail and send them across to me here. Um, so at least I'll have some in the shop, even though that's much more expensive than buying them from the wholesaler. There is a big enough interest still in Australia to do that. So would you say then right now there's more interest in classic Doctor Who merchandise than there is in the new series? Yep, I would sell 10 times more classic merchandise than new series stuff. And who are you selling them to? What, how would you describe the fan? Is it the younger, older? I would say it's mainly the older fans, maybe 30s and 40s who grew up with the series, who stuck with the classic figures. And then after that, it would be kids in their teens who did love the series when it came back. And then they've gone back and looked at the series history and they've decided they like that as well. So I still sell Target books and it's usually to primary school kids who wow. like the new series and they come in and they buy Target books and read the old series. Just on that carousel over there, there's some uh, Target books. Is that Terror of the Autons? Terror of the Autons, Stones, Stones of, Blood. of Blood. If you went and had a look at our um, Doctor Who cabinet, you would see that probably three quarters of it is merchandise from the new series and one quarter of it is classic. And that isn't because we stock more of the new series, it's just the classic stuff sells faster when we get it in. <laughs> Just to go off tangent slightly, if you were um, a maker of merchandise, yes, what would you like to uh, to sell to the masses? I still think there is a market for a decent range of action figures. I know the character option said when they released the second wave of classic stuff, they were a bit disappointed with the sales, which I think is part of the reason they moved into the exclusives. But I still think there are a lot of characters there that I think you could still do and I, I certainly personally I would like to buy I have to say I'm a bit of a sucker for miniatures I know there are uh, some being produced by a company called Warlord yep. uh, now I'll be honest and say I don't I'm not overly struck on those um, so I would probably rather somebody did some better Doctor Who miniatures other than that though there probably isn't a lot to be honest as I said I'm not really collecting heaps these days no, probably probably toys and miniatures would be my two. Okay. Um, I don't think. Look, I went through a phase where I was collecting trading cards. I think trading cards are a bit of a dead market now. So I don't think those. Other than that, maybe probably if someone would come up with a really good Doctor Who game, I actually think that would be. And I'm talking board game or, or miniatures game, probably as opposed to a sorry mark, as opposed to a, a video game. We still need a decent one of them too, don't we? Well, we do. Yeah. But uh, they, they'd probably be my wishes. Hmm. Aaron. Well, I think you'd go with what sells the best, and that is the action figures. Police boxes sell incredibly well, and the Sonics sell incredibly well, but they still do produce those. 
I would probably do Doctor Who two packs of action figures. So pick up some of the figures they didn't produce, get a, a third Doctor with a Silurian, the second Doctor mm. with a Yeti, or maybe if, if the interest is there, which I think it would be some of the companions they haven't done. So yep. Jamie with a Yeti, Sarah Jane is something that I don't know why they haven't done. I might, mm. might be something to do with the right. Sarah Jane with her, a Yeti? Sarah, Sarah Jane. Why not? Is that a big finish, that, is it? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Alpha Centauri. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with Katie Manning. <laughs> I think they'd go well. I think I think a video game would go really well. A lot of the kids who come in are into that gaming. I, an interesting story. My son came home from school and he said to me, Dad, you'll be so proud. Do you know what I did today? I said, what? He said... I went to the Doctor Who club at lunchtime. Wow. <laughs> and I said, oh, there's a Doctor Who club at school. And I said, yeah, did you go because you watched Doctor Who with me and you, you thought you'd do it at lunchtime? And he said, no, all the girls I like go to Doctor Who. Well done. And I, I turned around to him and said, you know, when I was at school, there was a Doctor Who club and it was called me sitting in the library <laughs> reading a Target book and there were no girls allowed. Or <laughs> yeah. well, me having my head flushed down the toilet when <laughs> Season 24 was on. The thing, the oh. thing, that, that was called the Underwater Menace. <laughs> so, yes, so, right. But, but he, he is into gaming and he has said he'd like to play a Doctor Who game with me online mm. or something like that. And every, every recent Doctor Who game that's come out has got the thumbs down from both of us. Yeah. Um, we were very yeah. excited. I remember um, a Wii version came yeah. out oh, with, that the, was with the sonic screwdriver yeah. Wii yep. remote and we bought it all and we played it for about half an hour and he said, this, this is, is one of the worst games I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I got sucked in a boy in that too. Yeah. So, well, what was your experience, Richard? Uh, similar. Yeah. Uh, I didn't play it with my son. I, it was a solo experience for me and that was... Uh, no, yeah. right. was, um, it, was it just the gameplay, the graphics? What it was, was clunky. Yeah. Just wasn't um, very good. No, it wasn't a very interesting game. I also had high hopes for Lego Dimensions, the yeah. Doctor Who stuff there. And once you'd sort of done the level, well, yeah. that was... That yeah. probably was the best modern Doctor Who game, you know. I put a bit of time into one of the mobile games, uh, Legacy, okay, uh, which yeah. was sort of the Candy Crush type one they did. I put, I did put a bit of time into that. I will say there is a game by Gale Force Nine, uh, Doctor Who: Time of the Daleks. It's a board game. They have recently brought out the expansions for that. Finally, um, that's not a bad game. It's a sort of a, a race game and a semi-co-op game. Um, and it uses a sort of a dice matching mechanic, so a bit like Yahtzee, I suppose, in some ways. That's been a lot of fun. I think that's probably one of the best Doctor Who board games I've seen. I've just come back from America, and I went to a lot of the bigger uh, comic book shops there, and I was very surprised by the lack of Doctor Who in store. Uh, there was the current issue of the comic, and a couple of issues of Doctor Who magazine, and nothing else at all. And these are in massive um, pop culture stores, mm. so I thought it was a lot, a lot bigger over there. I know it had the explosion of popularity under Matt Smith. I sort of did wonder if it was really still kind of niche a bit, but because it's not really on a major network. I mean, it's on yeah, they say. Um, and I think the distributor over there was Who NA, which is like a, yep. a big Forbidden Planet shop. Where here we had it, the ABC shop, mm. um, all the Zing stores. Yes. I, over there, I don't think it's hit the, the general populace Const as, as no, much as No, I don't think so. I mean, look, yeah. I guess if it gets on a Netflix, Netflix deal may, will bring it to a much larger audience because, I mean, BBC America, I think they've only, what, there's only some really small percentage of the population. And it is more of a specialty. It's almost yeah. like a, the expat channel for mm. people who want the British uh, yep. thing. Yeah, so it's a very small uh, percentage of the population have access to it and I think an even smaller percentage by the BBC channel. So and I, I don't think it's really reaching a massive audience over there. So given that, Doctor Who will never break big in the US if it's merely a TV show. Is it time to uh, take it to the cinema? W would somebody put the money up for it, though? Because cinema really requires somebody... At least $100 million, surely. Well, you'd require somebody to back it now, you know. Um, sort of like Monty Python, George Harrison isn't there to mortgage his house... <laughs> Uh, this time round, so surely Ian Levine might be able to <laughs> stump up the cash. Surely, surely there's a Saudi prince who wants to park his money somewhere safe. Tax haven, surely. And a mirror of uh, Qatar. If BBC America can pay for reanimating the missing episodes, right. there's probably some interest there for a television special. If if BBC Wales decided they didn't want to make it anymore, oh, you couldn't see BBC Wales relinquishing it though. Surely, surely. So basically, BBC Worldwide commissions BBC Studio to make it? Well, I BBC think. America made the last series of Torchwood, so there... I'm sorry to hear that. It is, there is a, pre, a, a precedent of it happening. Yeah. 
Mm. Who issues the licenses for Doctor Who merchandise? Who's the ultimate issuer? It is BBC Worldwide. So um, in the anniversary year, uh, again at the Toy Fair in Melbourne, they had a huge, huge presence. So um, a big licensee uh, display. So the BBC was actually there and they were actually selling licenses and they were actually showing off everything that was coming out for the next 18 months. And then below them, the second biggest... um, distributor in Australia is Icon Collectibles, which have the retail arm pop culture, where you can get a lot of the merchandise, the new stuff online. And then the stuff that pop culture doesn't get, they mainly deal with toys and um, I guess um, uh, statues and and things like that. Uh, So the books and the magazines, they're a different license again and distributed Mm. by by different people. So there's a few licensees in Australia. Richard, you were going to say something? I do remember a scenario a few years ago where the Doctor Who license was worth was big dollars to buy a Doctor Who license. Uh, and again, it's relating back to miniatures, sorry, but there were a couple of guys who did an unofficial Doctor Who miniatures game. Um, they're actually the guys who became Crooked Dice, who now do Y7 TV, uh, for anyone who's into miniatures gaming. But they did an unofficial Doctor Who game, um, and they did apply to the BBC uh, to query actually licensing the game and producing it properly. Um, and were told that they came away that the license really was enough to buy probably a small unit uh, in, in a fairly good location. So, but I know now the license is is less than half that. The, the other thing this year is character options produce the the figures, but they mustn't have the American license because there is a second company that produced the. Jodie Whittaker figure and the sonic screwdriver over there Mm. Um, and I don't think it was popular enough for the Jodie Whittaker figure to even go to retail the sonic screwdriver did Uh, but that just shows that it can't be a big market over there so you mentioned BBC Worldwide and Icon what have they said to you about the state of merchandise BBC Worldwide had a display for the 50th year and the year after it and that was the last time they had a presence in Australia so they deferred their distribution totally to Icon. Of course, you go to these things and everyone's popular about um, everything. I remember, you know, during the 50th, you know, asking about different things that were coming out and I said, oh, the missing episodes have just been returned, Web of Fear and Enemy of the World. They did really well. Is there anything you can tell me about that? And the girl's like, yeah, they've been fantastic. We're going to be releasing all of them over the next couple of years. Phil's (laughs) wife, wasn't it? Uh, and then she was ushered away. <laughs> but yeah, stop but talking, love. Yeah, but they're enthusiastic, but they're never going to tell you anything negative about the show because they're trying to exactly. to sell it. And yeah. every every year they've had stuff on display, and they've had different prototypes and things that have been released and things that haven't been released. I think we get the toy fair in um, March, and I think all the other toy fairs have happened, so we're the sort of drop-off point at the end of it for anything. So usually anything that has... Doesn't sell. <laughs> well, no, usually anything that's announced has already been seen at, yeah. um, at the toy fairs in America and England. There was no Doctor Who stuff at Icon, and they told me they weren't getting any stuff this year, um, and they said they probably wouldn't be until the Doctor regenerated. They said that because they weren't getting enough orders. It wasn't that they didn't like the Doctor. I don't think they have an opinion one way or the other. Mm. It's purely down to finances for them. But I went round to every single licensee and asked about Doctor Who, and all of them said, no, we're not doing Doctor Who until things change, except for one. And the only licensee that was keeping it uh, and distributing stuff that I could buy was the little metal models that you push out and make a a metal model of a Dalek or a or a police box. And that was the only thing I could pre-order for the shop if I wanted to, to get Doctor Who merchandise through a Australian licensee. Did you get them in? No. So really at the moment, Aaron, is all your Doctor Who stuff in the store here simply second-hand stuff that you bought from collections? No, um, we still... I, I have bought... Because I'm a Doctor Who fan, I always buy more merchandise for the store than we actually need just to... Um, you know, just to do my bit for fandom and to make sure <laughs> that there's an interest... <laughs> And we have a lot of stuff that um, hasn't sold that we've bought from um, wholesale, but it does it does sell pretty well. And a lot of it is collections coming in. So I'd say a quarter of what we got is from the wholesalers, and three quarters is from secondhand sources. Richard, you've seen plenty of collections over the last twenty or thirty years, and so have you, Aaron. Obviously, coming through the store, what are the top two or three items that you've seen, each of you, that have really just made you go, "Wow, 
For me, I think it was collections that have had props. Mm. So uh, one guy sold his collection. This was last year and had a Five Doctors Cyberman gun. Mm. Um, and then a full Silver Nemesis Cyberman suit, which wasn't a prop. That was a... No, oh, no, no, that, so that was one, just... Sorry, it's one made like, yeah. Yeah, and a, a sort of Revenge of the Cybermen helmet. With official merchandise, I've seen so much, nothing really stands out anymore. What about that Dr. Watt game? Oh, yeah, Dr. Watt game. That was, that didn't come through the show. That was on eBay. It was oh. a, a computer game from the 80s called Dr. Watt that I'd never heard of and has the, the neon logo but says Dr. Watt on it. And then on the back, it, it, all, all of the descriptions are like, who is the man that travels through time and space in a time machine? Who saves the universe? Who, who, who? Doctor Watt does. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get a copy of this, me and Richard, and review it. Is it, a, is it as good as Minds of Terror, though? <laughs> Nothing can be as good as Minds of Terror. <laughs> Richard, then. I, I'd probably echo the, the comment about props. Um, I have seen a couple of collections that have had props in them. Um, which means I've got the whole part of the key to time. Um, mm. I'd love to see a... What did you feel like, Richard? A piece of Perspex, Perspex actually, <laughs> with, with, with double-sided tape on it where they stuck it together for, <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. for the filming. Yeah, for the yeah. filming. Uh, a lot of tape residue and stuff on it. Um, residue of history, mate. I've seen a Silurian head. Um, I've seen um, a Sea Devil head and that sort of stuff. So they were real exciting because these are actually screen-used items. Mm. Um, they were all good. I think usually when you see a collection, it's more if you see a nice collection displayed well, it has yep. an impact rather yeah. than individual items. So if someone specialised and collected their whole life mm. and you go and you go, oh, wow, that's a lot of effort to yeah. put that together. Um, being able to sit and play the Dodge the Daleks game was quite uh, was, was quite good. We did uh, that, that was a bit of fun. At least I can say I played it. My, my wife let me buy the pinball machine for my 30th. Yeah. That was, that was an impressive Yeah, piece. actually, I also owned a pinball machine. So that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty good. And again, I didn't actually buy that. That was a present. And that was like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I disappeared in the garage for about a week. <laughs> um, what's the market like for screen-used props then? That's a fairly niche area of collecting because they traditionally went for big bucks well it's interesting because in the early days they didn't really mm. no. um, I remember I don't know if you remember this the someone here had um, some of the prisoners from from charters mm. um, uniforms and took them to Doctor Who meetings and yeah. couldn't, couldn't get 50 bucks for them no that's right yeah they think they bought them off of like long convention in long Glade yeah and yeah. brought them back and, and everyone uh, was like, Shada, yeah. who's her? What's who, that? What's that? Yeah. And, I, and I, the same person actually had a Mavellan costume, if I remember too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there was stuff I know in the, in the early days in the UK, like when some of the props and things were cleaned out, um, they didn't go for big amounts. But then there was sort of the thing where props were, were big dollars. Uh, and I know that the collection, the, the collection that I saw broken up a few years ago, he had quite a few props and he had paid quite a lot of money for those. I mean, Again, yeah, he had stuff like a an original, like a, a Pertwee or a Sea Devil head. Um, he had um, a Silurian head from Warriors of the Deep. It was Tarpox head. With uh, he also had the wrist communicator or the wrist computer thing. They had um, he had a fair bit of other stuff. But um, I think they've now the prices have now started to decline again because when he sold those on, um, he didn't get even allowing for markup. Um, he didn't get anything like what he paid for them. And when the prop place he sold them to went to resell them, they were selling them for quite a bit less than he paid for them. The thing that's happened with the new series, it's affected the prices of merchandise of the classic series as well. Mm. And because the new series has sort of made people lose interest, there's a lot of collections have turned up. So there's a lot more choice for people who are collecting to pick and choose the items they want and wait to get it for a reasonable price as mm. well. So if you've got a Doctor Who collection, now is not a good time to sell it, unless you want to come in and sell it to Lobos Collectibles. <laughs> we'll also give you a $50 gift card. <laughs> We've still got that price from 2014, Aaron. Never claim. Never, never claim. It was too tricky a question. It was what was the very first item of Doctor Who? That's right, yeah. And that was? Oh, I think it was the, the theme. Oh, on the record, yes. Yeah. No, because there's that playing card that's got the copyright date actually before the series was uh, yeah, before, <laughs> 1961 or something is on it. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe that's inaccurate. Well, the, 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 the earliest item of merchandise would actually be the dinky toy police box that came out in, yes. the, in the 20s. So oh, how's that for, for Doctor Who? Travelling through time. time.
So because I'm obsessed with missing episodes, <laughs> I have to ask the question. You guys have seen that literally probably thousands of items go through, different collections, all that sort of thing. Big no, none of them have been missing episodes. You've right? seen Just... no evidence of missing episodes, Richard. No one's got a film count that they refuse to let you look at. The, the one item I have to say that I was really upset that I didn't grab, there was a collection that was sold through a shop down in South Yarra about oh that'd be probably 25 years ago now and he had a lot of stuff like he collected it from a boy and he had autograph but there was a, a photo album with all these little tiny proof pictures and stuff in them they were little cards probably about the size of the old cigarette cards yeah um, in an album and they were from I, I don't know whether they were the like versions of the Curatelli snaps or whether they were something else but they were just stuck in these old photo albums and there was hundreds of these things from all pretty much an entire black and white run I don't know what they were I don't know where they came from because the guy who bought the collection who ran the shop who bought the collection had no idea probably what 80% of what he bought was and unfortunately I asked him I was with another collector who was negotiating to buy the bulk of this collection and I asked the guy to put the photo album away just to add that to the pile of stuff we were going to take and when I came back it was gone to this day I don't know who took it because the guy swore black and blue oh no no everything you guys put away is there I don't think, look, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy theory behind it, you know, that the men in the dark suits turned up. <laughs> but clearly one of the employees in the shop must have seen it and, and lifted it. Can you remember what the images were? They were little cards, as I said, they were about the size of the old cigarette cards, so they're probably about an inch by about probably two inches or thereabouts. Were they telesnaps off TV? Or were well, they... that's the thing. They were stuck under yellow pages in a photo album. And we sort of had a bit of a flip through them. And I thought, oh, actually, I'm quite interested in these. I'll put these away. Mm-hmm. Some of them were photos look you have seen at various times. And they were stills that, that were probably quite well-known images. But a lot of them weren't. And, yeah, as I said, when we went back a week later to, to actually pick the stuff up, um, they'd gone. So that's probably the one item I am really Pete I, I let get away. Whether that has anything to do with missing episodes or not, I'm not sure. But it's a really thing. I've never seen them ever again. I've got no idea what they were, whether they were something the BBC sent out at some point and this guy had just collected them when he was a kid or whether they were something else entirely. But uh, Is that guy dead now? Uh, well, I don't know. Well, the, the collector, um, he obviously was desperate to sell his collection and just took whatever price that the shop offered him. As I said, I've got no idea where they went. Clearly somebody in the shop obviously saw them and, and liked them as well. You got anything as tantalising as that, Aaron? Probably not as tantalising as that. When my son was born, so this would be 13 years ago, I sold off a large portion of my Doctor Who collection. And so I put probably about 500 items up on eBay over the space of a couple of weeks. And I I got not one, but two people email me, message me through eBay saying, we're film collectors. We see you've got a substantial Doctor Who collection and you're in Australia. You wouldn't have any missing material. If you have, we would offer, it was a five figure sum for anything that you might have. I think it was 20,000 pounds if you had an episode. And I emailed them back and said, no, I haven't had anything like that. And within about 24 hours, the eBay accounts were deleted and no longer a registered user, so you couldn't contact them again, which I thought was very interesting that there was someone offering. Who knows if they would, if I'd have said, yeah, I've, I've got something, if they would actually follow through. But there were people back then offering, but not one, but two people contacted me through eBay that way, asking, did I have missing material? And this is what I am prepared to pay for it if you, if you have. Was the location livable? I was a lockup. I, I, I Levine five five five. Sorry, Pete Boris at Scouser.com. You, you can cut that, but go on. Mark, yeah. have you, you you know several collectors in uh, in Melbourne? Have you, have you seen anything? Heard anything? No, not really. Not re- anything? Not re- not recently, Rob. Not since that Bakatera uh, film can. No, alas, no. I have heard nothing. Well, because I am in the industry, whenever we buy any big collections, if anyone has anything that even touches on films, I, I've always asked um, if they have got any Doctor Who or got any films in general to look through, or even if they know anyone who would, because a lot of the older collectors, you know, they're not on the internet, but they have a network of friends who used to collect. Mm. And there was one guy we bought his collection. It was an absolutely massive collection. Um, and he collected movie posters. And because he collected movie posters, he was sort of in that movie collecting industry. And he said, there are a couple of really huge film collections in country Victoria, sort of aircraft hangar size collections. But he said there was no Doctor Who in any of that because he 
had an interest in Doctor Who and he had asked and there was nothing like that in, those, already bought them. in, those, oh, no. in those collections. <laughs> he had already sold them on he made a £20,000 £20, to anonymous buyers. Yeah. Just on that score, Aaron, what would a, a missing episode go for? I don't know. I've often thought about that because, because I am in the kind of business where that could walk through the door. If you won a lottery ticket for $100,000, would you then give that lottery ticket away or would you cash in your $100,000? If the BBC have just paid £10,000 for some stills, some photos and a couple of offcuts. This is the power of the Dalek stills. Yeah, what would they pay for if a missing episode turned up? I don't know, but it'd be a lot more than 10000 wouldn't it? An order of magnitude more than that. So... I think it would be a lot of money. I mean, some of would the... It, would it depend on the episode or would, you know, would the Savages 4 be just as good as Power of the Daleks 1? I think it would be that level of interest that it wouldn't matter if it was a missing episode. I did think for a while that might happen because Doctor Who prints and occasionally one no one knows about do turn up on eBay and they don't go for a huge mm. amount because they're existing episodes. I don't know what would happen because sometimes you see um, with the BFI or Kaleidoscope some missing material will turn up that no one sees on eBay and they'll get together and they'll buy it. But that's because it's obscure stuff. If a Doctor Who episode turned up and it was genuine, everyone would see it. And I think the BBC would actually have to step in and stop the auction and do something because I, I don't know what it would go for. And I think you would get people who don't want it to go into a private collection would just put a million dollars in so no one would bid and then not honour it so mm. very hard to put a price on it what, do you, what would you pay Richard? Didn't Ian Levine offer a, a This Planet Earth Dalek for anyone who um, returned missing episodes so that gives you what that's about three four thousand pounds so that's clearly what he was willing well, if, to pay if, at that time if, at BBC, that time. if BBC America again are paying whatever they're paying for the animations surely they yeah. would be willing to pay that for the return of a missing episode. Having said that, I mean, there has to be a finite point because whilst missing episodes would get us extremely excited, it is still a fairly small niche market. Hmm. Um, so you're not going to get you know, something really insane, I wouldn't have thought, because they're not going to get the return on the investment. So, Do we know how many DVD units they shifted for Web and Enemy and also... They did. Well, oh, the two, they're two biggest sellers yeah. of the whole right. range. And that, was, iTunes, when, yeah. that yeah. was when DVDs are not selling as well. Yeah, anymore. and they were like just vanillas, mm. you know what I mean? And we haven't even, don't even know about the new ones as well. Mm. I mean, if you sort of think about it, if uh, Bruce Grenville, remember him, he had the Crusade episode because he wanted to put that to an auction. Now, if he hadn't given that back to the BBC and said, by the way, I'm going to sell it. It would have gone for a lot more. I think the trick to do would be contact the BBC and say, I have discovered a missing episode. What I would like to do is secretly give you a, a copy and then put it on eBay and sell it before the BBC announced that they have a copy. <laughs> and then if the person who buys it offers it back to the BBC, the BBC can say, oh, thank you, but we've already got a copy. And if the person doesn't offer it to the BBC, the BBC can bring it out on video a lot cheaper <laughs> like, a couple of weeks later. Spoken like a retailer. <laughs> <laughs> wrap up guys let's uh, round us off by uh, talking about bits of merchandise that we wish we bought or we regretted selling off Aaron some stuff I've regretted not buying in the earlier days of the current action figures some prototypes turned up online and they went for reasonable prices and, and now they're probably going for 10 times as much and that wouldn't be me buying stuff to resell it a couple mm. of those were nice prototypes I would have sort of liked in my collection mm. Richard? I mentioned the photo album a few minutes ago. I had the opportunity once, I knew the guy who built um, a lot of the cyber suits for more than 30 years in the TARDIS, and he had a couple of screen used ones as well, and he was getting rid of those quite cheap, because he was, again, he was moving from um, the UK over to America at the time. Hello, Steve, if you're listening. And I had the opportunity to buy those, and I, I have at one level sort of thought, that would have been pretty cool to have, actually, a screen used Cyberman costume. In terms of stuff... Would you want it? Well, I'm tall enough to wear it, but... Um... You might be cyber-controlled territory now. <laughs> I'm not quite in good Gareth territory yet. But, um... Sorry, Richard. <laughs> I don't think I fit in the Darth Vader suit anymore. Either. Quite... <laughs> That's another story. That is another story. I did have a few things. I had some of the Dennis Fisher toys um, that I offloaded. I had a Tom Baker when I was a kid. 
and I collected a couple of the others um, when I got a bit older and I actually sold all of them. I must admit, the Tom Baker particularly, again, because I had that sentimental attachment to it, I am a bit sorry that I let that go. But you shared love with someone else, Richard. Well, I did. It was more a case that the guy buying it wanted all of them and really it was sort of like, oh, I really want that as well and we sort of haggled over the price and I was like, yeah, all right, look, fine. Um, you give me a good price for the others so I'll throw in the Tom Baker as well because I had that sentimental attachment to it um, that is probably one I am Tom sorry I let go Is but, Tom Baker hole a shaped hole in your heart or? Uh, not quite <laughs> but having said that look a lot of the stuff I do have at the moment um, I sort of packed it away because I had young kids and a lot of it actually hasn't come back out of the boxes hmm. to, to be honest I don't really have any display cabinets or anything set up at home at the moment so much and all there is stuff I have a strong attachment to a lot of it is boxed up I think as well with eBay now anything you sell hmm. you can find again if you, you look for it hmm. I think probably the only thing I've sold that would be tough to get back um, is the Australian Doctor Who show bag yeah, getting a complete one of those is pretty hard, isn't there? Someone not ten kilometres away from here who's we got do know, a yes, who has two of them. Has two of them. He also has the ice cream box, um, or a couple of ice cream boxes, and a couple of full sets of the stencils as well. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> are the ice cream boxes still in the freezer after thirty years? <laughs> yes, <laughs> did he buy a special generator? <laughs> Don't laugh. It wasn't a Doctor Who ice cream. I do know someone who had a Thunderbirds icy pole uh, <laughs> in there. In their freezer well, in a plastic bag well, for many, many years. Well, it might be a sad thing to admit, but we bought, um, when I was a, a kid, a box of the Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I, yes, they were nice. Poles. Oh, yes. They, they, they were like yep. a black and green yes. and lemonade one. Yes, yep. they were. And, yeah. and they were, we were collectors from a very young age, and we saved the box and we saved two of the icy poles and left them in the fridge. And much to our parents, you know, disgust, we're like, we want to keep them forever. And they stayed in the freezer for about eight years, and we went on a, a holiday to Phillip Island. And when oh. we came back, there had been a power cut, oh. and they had defrosted and then refrozen again when the power oh. came back on. So we opened it, and there was a disintegrated <laughs> box with black and red mush all over the bottom of the called the Carbonite Edition, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so that isn't as crazy. And I do know collectors... I actually only know one collector that still has an original uh, Kiss Ice Lolly. Oh! Wow. And he was disappointed because they reissued them a couple of years ago. Oh, and he was no. like, I thought I had the only one. <laughs> Bloody Gene Simmons. Yeah. yeah, he's always after the cash. Yeah, Rob, what are any, any bits of merchandising or stuff you've sold? Look, I'm not a big collector. I, I, I look at the, the, the action figures and I don't feel any stirring anywhere in my body about them. But I can appreciate that people love them. And, and Didn't like you, them. when you were eight or nine years old, you're playing with your Star Wars figures? Thinking I would really like some Doctor Who action figures. I remember None. going to see Star Wars at the at the drive-in with my folks, but that was as close as I got to merchandise. I, my, really? My parents, I've said this before, my parents have got no interest in science fiction. I was the only one in the house who gave a, a, a rat's backside about it. So right. I never so, I never talked about my interest. I never bought, you know, paraded around the house in it or showed it or anything right. like that. I just I just had no interest in it. So when you got clothes for Christmas, did you just sit there looking longingly in the toy shop window <laughs> like the cardboard Death Star that just... No, I, I never... No. My friend had that. I never really had I, that particular I, I interest. I had one of those. That was, he, that was a cool seat. He, he, had a, he had a slinky, but he straightened it. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my thing was, 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 was books, and I, I you know, from a young age, I bought... A lot of the target novels and then in the mid 80s we moved towns and there was a second hand shop that was willing to buy stuff so i sold a lot of my target novelization so mm. i could buy books that she had in the store right which was annoying but then you know you could turn around because of the so, the, the, so many of them you, i just picked them up again so so would nostalgia be strong enough for you that the doctor who magazine has just done the target issue for you to go and pick up that issue yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah there's the purple issue as well that's come out i'm, I'm waiting for it to come out locally so I can pick that up, but uh, yeah, certainly, certainly. Mark, first of all, that uh, Web of Fear Part Three film print I got was a pretty good deal. <laughs> I think it was a good trade for the twelve-inch version of the Canine and Company. Uh... Me meow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the uh, one thing I, I it was definitely uh, the, the leather-bound edition of Doctor Who Celebration that was signed by Tom Baker that uh, I missed out for forty dollars. Uh, definitely uh, spewing about that. And also, I really wish my parents bought me the uh, Dennis Fisher TARDIS and Tom Baker doll in 1977 or 8 when it came out because my friend of mine, Nathan Smith, he had it. Aaron will give you a discount. I will. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk after. <laughs> Haven't you still got a $50 discount? Yes, I do. Uh, hey! I'm in, the, I'm, I'm in the money. All yeah, right. so that's yeah. it. Just before we wrap it up, just dragging it back to where we were before, what can BBC Worldwide and 
the show do to rekindle people's interests in the merchandising side of things? We'll, we'll clearly change the doctor. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think is the, is the outcome uh, of this discussion. Uh, unfortunately, would be the number one thing. Pick a... I, 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 I hate to say it because Peter Capaldi was my favourite doctor, but pick a, a doctor who is younger mm. and more appealing uh, as a romantic lead and then have uh, a companion that can sort of fall in love and the audience oh. can ship along with it. So, and, and the style of stories would be less scary... You'd keep the kiddies involved in more, I don't know, mainstream, action-y, adventure-y, quirky? I, I, I do think uh, a variety of stories works best because if you like one one type of story, if if they have one that you don't like, you know a week or two later you're going to get one that does appeal to you. So I think a good mix of stories, not not three historicals in the one season. So basically bring back Russell T Davies. Uh, you've got to look at, um, I guess, the publicity that Cardiff does. And if you look at all of the showrunners... He was always the one there on the DVDs saying, hello, faithful viewer, waving the flag, yeah. being enthusiastic yeah. about it. I've got to say, some of the other showrunners since then haven't looked like they've wanted to be there. No, <laughs> especially Stephen Moffat on that Pertwee special. He didn't want to be there at all. I mean, why, why would you close down Doctor Who Confidential for the 50th anniversary and not get a behind-the-scenes look at that? Bonkers, isn't it? Hmm. All right, on that very sad note, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be back again with Richard and Dave at Christmas time. So, I've been Mark. I've been Rob. I've been Richard. I've been Aaron. Thank you once again for listening to the 42 to Doomsday podcast. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with with you again soon. So Aaron, let's talk about missing episodes. What did you want to know? Give me a name. I can give you initials. Go on. Has he got the lot? I think he's got the lot. Spider-Man does whatever. Fury from the deep. Spider-Man. Oh, those poor gerbils.